uh, if we're going to talk about real freedom and what it looks like. All right, now, stay with me here, um, uh, because you remember one of the verses that we've kind of taken as a theme here for a few weeks, and we're going to come back to some of this next week, God willing, amen? Uh, so, in Galatians 5.1, uh, Paul said, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And that yoke of slavery is a picture of like an oxen being yoked and made to work and all of that. Now, in the context of this, he was talking about those who were trying to take them back under the old covenant, back under the law with its rules and its regulations and with you, with your effort, trying to do what you do to try to earn a standing before God. That was never the purpose of the law. He's taught that. He's told us that. And at Christ came to set us free and his presence come into us. So now we actually have the ability to please God based on what Jesus did on the cross and his work in us. So it's because of what he did. He gets the credit for it, right? And listen to this, even the good that comes in and through my life isn't just me, it's him living in me, and he gets the glory for that as well. We get blessed, we get rewarded, he gets the glory for it all. It's all to his credit. It's not us. And one of the problems that we have, and I'm going to just say this, and we're going, to, we're going to try to come back to it maybe next week, is that we try to live the spirit-filled life in the power of our flesh. That we try by the strength of ourselves to try to match what, what God says he wants us to do, and we can't do it. Now, it's not that we don't have a part. We have a discipline, we have a part. Yeah, I always refer to that story where Jesus healed the lame man and he told him to do something he couldn't do. He told him to get up. And I'm sure his legs were deformed and atrophied and all of that. Uh, and, uh, but I think as he tried to do what Jesus said, supernaturally, his legs changed. He got healing and he got up. Okay, here's the thing. There are some things that we have to do. We have to discipline our flesh. We have to discipline our mind. We have to resist that sinful nature that even though we're a new creature in Christ, we still live in this sin-cursed body. This sin cursed flesh. The Bible says that flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So one of these days I'm leaving this behind. And one of these days I'm going to be perfect. Aren't you glad? I mean, I'm going to be perfect. How about you? You're going to be perfect as well if you've trusted Christ. Uh, but while we're here, we have that battle. And he talks about it. Uh, uh, Paul does. He talks about that battle. Uh, even in this chapter, he talks about that battle between the flesh and the Holy Spirit in our life. That struggle that goes on. Anybody felt that this week? And the thing about it is, is, is we want to take the flesh and pound it into the image of Christ. What he says has to happen to the flesh is it must be crucified daily. Um, so, but there's a natural part. There's a discipline. And I've heard it said this way. You do, you do the natural. He supplies the super. So there's supernatural. There are some things that, you know, God's just not going to do this for us. That there are some things that we have to do as an act of faith and obedience because of our faith. As we do that, his power comes in. The lame man had to try to make a move and trust him that this could happen. And as he did that, God helped him do what he never could have done on his own. So I'm saying that is that there are so much of this we can never do on our own. I'm telling you. It's not natural. But we have to do the part that he gives to us to be responsible for if we're going to see the supernatural happen in our lives. Okay, so last week we talked about freedom. And we talked about, uh, in the end part of this chapter, about freedom and responsibility. And how that relates to our Christian lives. How that relates to us in this land of liberty in which we live. The United States of America. Where, uh, you know, we feel like freedom is, is under attack. We feel like everybody, well, I'm American. I have my rights. Free country. All of that. We talked about the responsibility that comes with that. Uh, and that God's calling on us to be uh, different than everyone around us. And that the biggest way the gospel is going to shine into the darkness is through our lives and our living out what Christ says. Here's the problem is we confuse. We confuse too often in the church nowadays. We confuse, as David Platt said, the kingdom of God with the American dream. Somehow we've got this crossed up in our mind. 
Uh, but God's called us to live as salt and light. And that's what he wants us to be. But there's one way that people are going to see this happening in our lives that is so supernatural. And we're going to need God's help here. Because if we're not careful, folks, when we're talking about our spiritual freedom and our freedom in Christ that he paid for on the cross. And we talk about all the rights that we have, you know, as Americans, as Christians, and all of this. If, listen to me. If we're not careful, there will be blind spots in our freedom. Now, we mentioned a few that our nation had as a war was fought to declare our independence, although everyone wasn't included in that. Everyone wasn't free. Um, In our spiritual life, Christ has died on the cross. He has already paid the price. You may have trusted him to save your soul, but there could be in your practical daily life, some in my mind, some blind spots and they are in, in my freedom. There may be areas of bondage that I kind of want to ignore. Some, some blind spots, some areas of bondage that, that I want to, I can rationalize it. I might want to justify it, right? And uh, so you remember from last week, we have a misunderstanding a lot of times of freedom. A lot of times as Americans, we think freedom means that we're free to do what we want, whenever we want, with whomever we want, as long as no one gets hurt. Actually, if we all do that, eventually everybody gets hurt. It's nothing more enslaving. And that's why we talked about responsibility. One verse we didn't use last week that I wanted to, but I thought I'd just save it, is in 1 Peter. You remember we did a whole series, verse by verse through 1 Peter, this past, past year? And we covered this at one point, uh, where he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, live as people who are free. Do you hear that? Now he's talking to people, some of them were slaves in the Roman Empire. But even though that may be your social status, you are free in Christ. He says, live as people who are free Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You got it? Let that sink in. Then he goes on in verse 17. He says, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, your brothers and sisters, especially in the family of God. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And you realize when he said honor the emperor, he's talking about uh, more than likely Nero. You, you, you realize that, 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 that the mess that they had in, in that whole, you know, what, how wicked? He says, honor the emperor. This is what he's telling people to do. But you're free. You are free. And you live as people. So if you're free, why not live as people who are free? It'd be horrible if you're free, but you live as a slave. Come back on that next week, okay? I just keep saying that. I'm trying to, I guess... I'm trying, I'm pushing stuff off, okay? So you know that this could be a lot more complicated and longer than what it is today. Uh, But don't use your freedom as a cover-up. We can do that. I have my rights, you know? And I use my freedom as a cover-up for me being selfish and doing what I want and promoting my agenda, not God's agenda. Now that word free that's in that verse, I want to see because every word's inspired. I want to see what they mean. The word translated free literally means, literally means unrestrained. Okay, so we're unrestrained that, that, they're, they're, that, that the barrier's gone, that you are free to live and become what he wants you to become. God has got the power. He's giving you the enablement. He's given you the forgiveness to become what he wants you to become. You are unrestrained, but don't use that in a selfish way because you're right back into slavery if you do that. Uh, so in while we're thinking we're free, if we're not careful, we can allow certain habits. Are you with me? I know it's a gloomy, cold, nasty day out there. And I'm having a big enough struggle. You got to help me today. Okay. So if we're not careful, even thinking we're three, we're free. We, see, I can't even say words right. Three, not three, free. In thinking we're free, we allow certain habits. We allow certain fears. I figured somebody would say, come on. Amen, that's fine. We allow certain emotions to bind us and begin to steal freedom from us. But there's one that's probably more insidious than others. Because it is so, I mean, I have my right to this one, I could feel like. 
I have my right. And it will slowly wrap its chains around other parts of our hearts. See, in that it doesn't stay confined to its area. It begins to wrap its tentacles and its chains around other parts of my heart, other parts of my life. And it begins to destroy my fellowship with God and my fellowship with others. And the enemy uses this one to play all kinds of mind games and to get you to believe all kinds of lies about yourself, believe lies about others, lies about God. Yet, if there's to be healing that's really going to happen and freedom in my life and freedom in our land that we live in, this one right here, um, has, we've got to receive this We've got to receive this freedom, and we've got to learn to give it, all right? And what I'm talking about is being free to forgive. It's forgiveness. Not a popular topic. Freedom to forgive. Um, you know, they say that, I, they say, I've never personally tested this, all right? But they say that these giant... And I know it's controversial whether they should even have them or not, whatever. But the giant circus elephants. I mean, I think elephants are amazing, right? They got those big old giant ears that look like giant cornflakes. You know what I'm saying? Like big giant soggy cornflakes. And I mean, just like um, elephants are, are just, and they're just, oh. But you see how that they, they have them trained and that they can train them so well. But they say, they say that you see them tied up, they're tied up this little, little rope, this little chain that's driven in with a stake, and they just kind of stand there. But, but the, the saying is, is that uh, they, uh, uh, you know, they could just turn their head and break loose. But what happens is when they're babies, they are chained up, and they can't get loose. Try with all their might. When they're babies, they can't break that chain. And they get it in their mind that the chain is unbreakable, and they accept that. And the result is, is when they're an adult and they're tethered to a chain, they've all, and remember elephants don't forget, right? Um, and I don't know, I don't know who discovered that, but anyway, uh, that they don't forget that they still think they can't break it, so they don't try. Satan uses the same strategy on you and I in some big, traumatic events that happen in our life that are so overwhelming, they're hard to deal with. And he tries to bind us. And we just don't think that, uh, I mean, we're chained emotionally. We may be chained spiritually. But it's a chain God wants to break. You just don't think it could ever happen. And one of the favorite ones that the enemy likes to use in our lives is this one there. Unforgiveness. It can derail any relationship that you have, including your relationship with God. And we're going to see Jesus warns us about that. This right here has a very direct impact on our relationship with God himself. And because of this, people walk away from marriages. People walk away from family. People walk away from friendships. People walk away from churches. And they walk away from the Lord because of this. A major characteristic of real freedom is forgiveness. To free ourselves and others. Now, I want to read the text, and I am going to put it up there. I hope you have your Bible out. We're going to have, come back to it. You need to mark it. You need to make note of it, all right? In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12. I'm going to back up to verse 12, because he's told them to put off some things. As we've trusted Christ, it's like changing clothes. We want to put off these things and put on. So he says in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones. Did you know you're one of God's chosen ones? He chose to pay an incredible price for you. And you're a chosen one, holy and beloved. That's you. Will you claim that? He says that. Do you believe the word of God? You are chosen. You are holy and beloved. He said, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Here's what to put on. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. None of those come naturally. I can only put them on as he supplies them for me, right? And then he says in verse 13, so how are we to behave now? He says, bearing with one another. Uh, that means putting up with each other. So he's writing to Christians and he's always going to say, part of what you've got to do is you're going to have to put on patience and compassion and endurance because you're going to have to put up with each other. Bearing with one another. And he says, and if one has a complaint against another, which we will, he says, forgiving each other. Not just forgiving each other, but forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Did you get all that? That's a lot. 
And this is what he's saying. Now, we're going to talk a little about forgiveness, and this is not going to be comprehensive because we would have to do like a whole series on it. But I just want to have this in here so we're thinking about it and we're praying about it so we can really enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ and see victory and peace and love and things happen. And this can impact the world around us like nothing else. I mean, more than anything that you blog or that you post or that you say, this right here will have impact on people around us like nothing else. So we kind of need to forget for we need to define forgiveness. And um, whenever we do that, we realize a lot of times we don't define it correctly. There are a couple of different words used in the New Testament that are translated forgiveness. And one of them literally means to send something away. It means to send something away, to get rid of it. Throw away. Um, and uh, the word used in our text has at its root the word for grace. That we extend grace. Now, what is grace? It is undeserved favor and kindness. So that kind of tells you right there, if you forgive someone, it's usually, it's kind of built into forgiveness that they don't deserve it. And it might be something they could never undo or pay back or make right. That's what God has done for us. We could never have earned it. We could never deserve it. There is no way. All we deserved was his wrath and his judgment. But yet he gave us his favor and his kindness. So we're never more like our Lord than when we let this come through us and we forgive. Now that word, see both of the, and the other, another word means to cancel a debt completely. And we're going to talk about that. Because both of these words are involved. Did you even know all the stuff in the Old Testament is pointing to what's, how it's fulfilled in the New Testament? Because even on the Day of Atonement, did you know that they, they had two goats that they had? Um, that they had one, they confessed the sins of the people on them. One was a blood sacrifice, wage of sin is death. It was symbolic, dying, wage of sin is death, their substitute for the, the sins. And that blood was sprinkled, it was symbolic, all of that. So uh, wage of sin is death, had to pay that debt, right, in their place. But the other one was sent away. The old King James translates that scapegoat. That's where that comes from. Um, there's a, a Hebrew word. We're not exactly sure of its meaning, but it was sent away into the wilderness. And there's a picture of these words that, that I had up there before uh, that talk about how that uh, it means to send something away, that God has separated our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. He sent them away, and he's also paid the price for the debt. That's beautiful when you look at it. Jesus defined it often as canceling a debt. In fact, do you remember in the Lord's Prayer, he taught us to pray in Matthew 6, 12. He said, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And right there, he is using it in that way, that a debt has been incurred. It's not just that you let someone slide or that you're just overlooking something. A debt has been incurred. Now, what does that mean? Jesus gives this whole illustration in Matthew 18 where Peter had asked him, how many times should we forgive someone? Seven? And I think he was like patting himself on the back. Like, whoa, Peter, seven. Amazing. Yeah. No, hey, Jesus said, no, I didn't say that. You, you hear me say that? I didn't say that. Anybody else hear me say it? I didn't say seven. I'm going to say this, 70 times seven or 77, however you want to translate that. You just keep on. Wow. And he tells this story about this guy that came to the king and he owed him an incredible amount of money. And then the king forgave the debt because the guy was going to be thrown in prison, his family and everything, and the king forgave the debt. That means what happened to the money that was owed. See, here's what happens when you forgive a debt, when you forgive a trespass like that, so if somebody owes you $100,000 and you say, that's okay, I forgive it. There's still money owed, right? Who covers it? You do. When you say you don't have to pay me back, that means you're going to take care of it. You pay it yourself. You've, you've paid it. So basically when the king forgave the debt, the king says, I absorbed that loss. I covered the debt because the debt had to be paid. Are you getting this? Then the bad thing was, in that story Jesus told, the king set him free. The king himself, from his own pocket, covered the debt and released him. He suffered the loss, right? He released the guy. He was free. But then the story goes on in Matthew 18 that this guy went out and found somebody that owed him a smaller amount, a very small amount, well, compared to what it was. It was a good bit of money, but it was a small amount compared to what he had owed the king. 
and he found him. And the guy begged him the same way, and he wouldn't forgive him, and he had him thrown into prison. And then the king hears about it, and then he calls him back in. And that's when Jesus makes the point that if you don't forgive, then he's not going to forgive you, and so forth and so on. So this has a direct impact on a relationship with God. So that means that whenever we forgive someone, just like God forgave us. That's what happened on the cross, by the way. We'll come back to that. But that our sin debt that could not be ignored, that God himself paid that on the cross. That Jesus took the punishment for my sin and your sin to satisfy the justice and perfection and holiness of our loving God. And as we pointed out in our Wednesday night class, you see the love of God and the justice of God come, the holiness of God, all come together on the cross where out of his love he paid the price, but because he's so perfect, the price had to be paid. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And you and I, when we forgive someone, we are going to suffer loss. That's part of it. Um, It means that you cover it yourself. It's not that we allow the, a lot of times we think, well, I'll forgive them and I'll let them make it up to me over time. I got to tell you, that's one of the false ideas. That's not, that's not forgiveness. That's reconciliation. I mean, whenever, and there are times, and, and that's a good thing too, is if you have a problem with someone and then they, they ask your forgiveness and they want to make it right. Uh, well, there's some unforgiveness involved, but it's really, that's reconciliation. So basically, what we're saying is just an observation here. Reconciliation and trust are separate issues. Now, if somebody, you know, incurred a big debt against you and were irresponsible, you might not, you know, let them hold your wallet, right? Uh, you might be careful about continuing to give, you know, them. Uh, so trust has to be built. Trust is earned. Grace is unearned, right? Are you following me on that? I can't tell. It's like no reaction here. So I'm not wanting fake reaction. I just want to know that, that this is you know, getting in there. Uh, trust is built. Forgiveness is a gift. Grace is a gift. Reconciliation is a two-way street. That's where you make agreements and you begin to restore and make things right. Now, um, uh, the thing is, is that we've been forgiven and we are also reconciled to God because of all, but it's all because of what Jesus did on the cross. And then as we trust him and as we live and serve him, like he told us in Colossians, as we serve him, uh, we're, we are, we are, we have a relationship together. There may be times when you forgive someone that you're not reconciled though. It may be you forgive them and you cut, you cut them loose. You get rid of the debt. You set yourself free when you do that. They're still in their own bondage. You may not be able to trust them. You may not be reconciled to them. But you can be free from the hurt and the pain and the bondage that they have caused. And I'll give you an illustration of that in just a minute. This is complicated. I know this is not what we want to hear. Uh, we often think that forgiveness means to not give full vent to my anger. Well, I didn't take it out on them, so I forgave them. That's not exactly what he's talking about here. Uh, it's not when someone agrees to repay you. Or you'll say, I'll let it go as long as, and we give them certain conditions. When we do that, that's not genuine biblical forgiveness. Forgiveness is you absorbing the debt, you absorbing the hurt, or whatever, and canceling it, not expecting repayment in any form. Does that sound very human? No. That doesn't come natural. When we say, I forgive you, but now don't forget you owe me, we've not really forgiven, is what this is. Hey, this is tough. Someone posted a while back, once you do me dirty, I may forgive you, but I will never treat you the same, and you will never, ever again get the old me. Well, that's an example of you saying you've forgiven someone, but you really didn't, okay? That's what that is. So uh, this is some of the meaning of it, all right? We've just tried to cram it in there. But then we have motivation. We have motivation. God is not asking you and me to do anything that he hasn't already done. We would have no relationship. We couldn't have the opportunity. See, forgiveness can give the opportunity for reconciliation, uh, but we wouldn't have the opportunity for that if he hadn't done what he did, that we are forgiven. It's what God has done for you through Christ on the cross. That's what it's all about. 
We had a spiritual sin debt that the only way you and I could pay it was to be separated from God forever in outer dark, a place the Bible calls outer darkness or a lake of fire. Those are, are a couple of terms that are used. To be separated forever and ever from this perfect God. That's the only way you could pay it. You could never be religious enough. You could never do enough. You could never earn your way back in. The only one that could pay the price is the one who was perfect and came and lived a perfect life. And took your place on the cross and took your sin. And in this exchange what happens is Jesus takes our whole sin debt and he paid it in full on the cross. The last thing that he said on the cross, it is finished. And the Greek word is, or the word is, is from the Aramaic, it's tetelestai. And anyway, what he was saying is, not only is it finished, is it completed, but it was also in a financial term, an accounting term, that when a bill or a debt was paid in full, that was stamped on it. Tetelestai, paid in full. He paid your sin debt in full on the cross. Now that's quite a switch. When I trust Christ for my salvation, my sin all went on him. He paid. He took my sin. He paid. He took my hell. In those moments on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In those, I can't explain this. But in those moments on the cross, he even experienced that separation. Which is what hell is all about. Separation from God and all that is God. And being fully human, but yet also eternal and fully God. He could, he could, I believe, experience that eternity of separation for me in those moments on the cross. But he even went there for you and me. So my sin was put on him and he paid the debt. And when I trust him, he says, paid in full on your sin debt. God required payment for our sin and God himself provided the payment. How awesome is that? But then, see, I still don't have any righteousness or perfection. Any righteousness or good that comes through me has to come from him. And it says in Romans 4, talks about how he deposits in our account the righteousness of Christ. He uses Abraham, even in the Old Testament, as an example of that. He deposits in our account his righteousness. So, so I have no righteousness, no, no right standing, no perfection, but, but all I have sin. And so my sin went on him, and he paid the only price that was satisfactory to God. And then God takes his perfection that he lived while he was here in the flesh, and he deposits in my account and your account. You know, it's like they said, I remember when I was a kid hearing the preacher say that, that when you trust Jesus, that Jesus died for your sins, that when God looks at your heart, he no longer sees your sin, he sees Jesus. That's true. That's exactly what's happening. That's what this forgiveness is all about. And the thing that you and I don't ever need to forget is that don't say you're worthless. Don't say, as we say around here, you're no count. That means you're not of any account, you know, I guess. You're no count. Translate for you transplants. Uh, but you got to remember this. It costs God a lot to cover your sin debt. It costs God a lot. Do you realize how much it cost him? Because he loves you and you were helpless to do anything. This is what separates the gospel from all the other religions of the world. I heard a guy, and sometimes I'll listen to people speak from different perspectives. And this guy was Muslim, but he was, he was talking about some nice things. Some things that you could find roots of in actual scripture uh but the thing about it is talking about your freedom you have to take charge of he talked about freedom so it had my attention you have to take charge of your freedom you have to earn your own freedom you have to achieve your own freedom and it was just so depressing to me to think that this is all me trying to do something trying to do something to set myself free so that maybe perhaps i could please the higher being the gospel says you can't do it the good news, gospel, is he's already done it for you. I just think the world needs to get that. I just think that somehow we're involved in so many other issues, we're not getting that out there. And we've got to be careful. I mean, as people come to Christ, a lot of things in our life begin to change. As we receive the forgiveness and then as our life is reconciled to him, as we go through that, uh, things begin to change. But sometimes if you're, we're not careful, here's what we want to do. We want people around us who come from a whole different perspective. They were raised differently. They didn't have biblical values taught to them. They, you know, it's no wonder. I don't know why we're so surprised that our culture is so pagan. I don't know why we're surprised. We act like we're just offended that everybody out there who doesn't even believe in God and have a relationship with him doesn't think like us and live like us. What do you expect? 
remember hearing the story one time, and the preacher, the old preacher was preaching, and that verse in the Old Testament, why doth the heathen rage? <laughs> why doth the heathen, or as we'd say, Curtis, the heathen, right, rage? And he got ready to say it again, and a little old lady on the front stood up and said, it's because they're heathen. That's why. What do we expect? Here's the thing. A lot of times, we're worried about some of these other, and they're important issues. I'm not saying they're not. We worry about some of the peripheral issues that we want people to get right and to have a biblical understanding and agree with us before that they can like fit in and be saved. I just think that the first thing that people need to understand is the gospel. The first thing they need to understand is that they are lost. We've incurred a sin debt against a holy, perfect God. And that we need forgiveness. We need cleansing. And they understand that God himself paid the price and covered the debt. And when you put your faith, when you put your trust in that. And you trust him as Savior and as Lord and as the God that he is. When you do that, then things begin to change. You begin to grow. And, and I, I think if we do this right, as you begin to grow, then people are going to see that, well, you know what, maybe my view of relationships is not the same as the Bible. And I'm beginning to grow in my understanding that the Bible is actually alive and powerful and is the very word of God. You know, I didn't really know that for sure at first, but I'm discovering it. Man, it is not only true, but it's being reaffirmed to me all the time as someone is first getting into the word. And then they begin to say, you know, my idea of what a family should be is not exactly matching what the Bible teaches, and you know what? Maybe, maybe I need to rethink this. It may take a little bit, right? It may be that they're thinking about the value of human life. Of course it's going to be skewed. But as they get into the Word of God, and as they grow in Christ, and as they get into Scripture, that all of a sudden they begin to think, you know what? What I'm seeing here doesn't match what I've been thinking. Maybe I need to rethink. I don't know about you, but I, I can't remember the first time. I mean, I've been in church I was taken to church, you know, nine months before I was even born, right? And uh, so I, I've always heard these things, and, and all, but, but still, as I try to live for Christ, there's times I'm studying in the Word and studying the Word, and something jumps out and hits me and say, you know what? My attitude or my thinking on this doesn't really square with this. Maybe I need to do some thinking and praying and changing. It still happens to me all the time. Why is it that we think that people who've come from the pagan culture in which we live, that before they even get saved and before they can even begin to connect, that they've got to have all these I's dotted and T's crossed and things that, that, that may not be a challenge to us. It may take some time. The problem is, is we want it settled. We want those issues settled before the gospel is. That's why they never get to a relationship with Jesus. That's why we, we, we run people off. And it takes time. I mean, it's harder to unlearn things than it is to learn, is it not? It takes time. It takes friendships. It takes relationships to understand about this forgiveness and understand uh, this is the heart of the gospel. Okay, um, so in order for us to be able to give true forgiveness, I have to have received it. I mean, without receiving it, I can, I can do some, but what empowers me to be able to forgive others is the fact that I've received it. And that's what Paul talks about in Colossians, as Christ has forgiven you. And that's what Jesus refers to. Because I have received it. And that's the thing about forgiveness. If I'm going to be involved with people and in close relationship with people, it's going to come up. Isn't it? It's going to come up. I'm going to have to forgive people if I'm going to continue in relationships with them. You know why? Because we're all sinners. And even though you're saved, you have a sinful nature and so do I. And there are times I'm not being led in the spirit. There's times it's the flesh. I mean, there's times Paul's even pointed out that some of these religious legalists, that they thought they were doing, you know, the, the godly things, but it was really their flesh. It can be very tricky. You know what I'm saying? They were being hypocrites, but they were being self-righteous, and they were looking down their nose and judging other people. Um, in order to be able, and see, I'm not only going to need to give it, I'm going to, I'm going to need to receive it. You know, I'm glad when I receive it and man, when I mess up, I want to be forgiven. It's just harder to give it than it is to, right? Um, so in order for me to be able to give true forgiveness, I, I need to have, 
I need to receive God's forgiveness by repenting of my sin and, and receiving his payment on the cross by faith. And so my ability to forgive is connected to God's agape love flowing through me. Humanly, I can't do this. Humanly, I can't. But, but now I've got God's love. I've got God's presence, the Holy Spirit living in me. One of the fruits of the Spirit is love. I've got that power and ability to help me forgive. So it's not just me. And I don't get the credit for it. He gets the glory for it. Because it's his power. I just need to submit to that. So what Paul says there in Colossians 3, it illustrates how this works. Because I don't know if you still have your Bible open there when he said that bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. Then he, verse 14, says, and above all, (laughs) that means most importantly, above all. That means if you leave this out, you don't get there. You can't do that. Above all, what does he say? Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Without the love of God poured into our heart, we can't do this. You got it? That is so real. That is so powerful. Jesus says this has a huge impact on your relationship with him. Now, I want to put that verse up there now. Where Jesus said, after teaching us how to pray and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The only part of that whole Lord's prayer that he comments on is that part when he says in verse 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's heavy. So what this is saying is our willingness to forgive others affects our relationship with God. Let's just, we can go a lot deeper in it, but let's just get the basic truth right there. Okay, it does. Jesus said so. Well, you might say, well, it seems like everybody I get close to hurts me. Everybody I get close to. I'm not going to get close to anybody. I got news for you. This is the way it works. Look at this. There's an observation. Greater intimacy requires greater forgiveness. Now, I would think as closer that we get, and as closer as we get to the Lord, that we ought to not ever offend or, or sin against each other where we would need forgiveness. That's what I would think. But did you know actually the opposite is true? That the closer you get, the greater intimacy you have, the greater closeness you have in a relationship, the more, are you hearing me? The more you're going to need forgiveness. Because it's false that true love requires less forgiveness. Are you hearing this? The truth is it requires more. You would think we wouldn't keep sinning against each other anymore, wouldn't you? That would be great. The truth is, however, I still got a fallen nature. And so do you. And there's times that I yield to the flesh instead of to the spirit. And here's, watch this, the more we're together, that means the more interactions that we have and the more time we're together and the more opportunities that we have to fail each other and sin against each other. It's not that the rate of sin has changed. It's just our exposure has. Do you understand? We're together more. It's like there's really not more floods now than there was 100, 200 years ago. The the, the thing is, is there's more cameras to record it, right? There may not be a lot more bad things happening everywhere. Just the problem is if any bad thing happens anywhere in the world, we not only get to hear about it instantly, we get to see video of it. I don't know that our minds are made to handle all that, you see? And and the thing about it is, as we're together more and more and more, it exposes us to more and more opportunities to fail each other. So it's folly to believe. It's foolishness for us to believe that if your spouse really loved you, that he or she would not ever sin against you, ever. That's ridiculous. You're setting yourself up for failure. It's your love for one another and your close proximity to one another that makes you there more frequently when stuff happens. When sin happens. You're involved because you're close. It's going to affect you because you're there. It's not that your spouse loves other people more or, or, than you or treats them better than you. You're just there more and exposed more to their sinful nature than the other people are. Am I on to something here? Come on. It's a little easier for people that aren't with me all the time to see a better side of me. That's why they say when you travel together, how many times does that not work out so well? You know, 
And it's by the time we get home, I tell you what, yeah. Go on vacation together, that seemed like a good idea. <sighs> it's, it's the exposure. So, when we're, when we're together a lot, it would be great if we keep growing that uh, we, we have an obligation as we grow as Christians to try to sin less. We might not be sinless, but we try to sin less, right? We try not to. We don't have a license to, to uh, run over anybody. But part of the truth is, is that because we're closer, we have an obligation to forgive more. The close, to be close to you means that I obligate myself to forgive you more. Do you see the difference? Uh, it doesn't say in our verse, be tenderhearted, to be patient, to be compassionate, sinning less against one another. That's not what it says. Uh, it says that when you have a complaint, that you can bear with each other. And sometimes it's just a matter of being able to put up with each other, according to Paul. And that we will have complaints. And that we will have to forgive, just like Jesus has forgiven us. And so he doesn't say that. But it, it's not, and you might say, well, I'm always, I'm always getting involved with broken and messed up people. It's, it's, it, you know what? That's maybe not it. It's that they're all sinners, just like you. Maybe you've been through several relationships Maybe you've been in several, okay, I'm saying this to just out there, okay? I'm saying this to the camera. Maybe you've been in several churches. And there are always problems in all your relationships. And in every church, there's always problems, right? Always. What could be the common denominator? I mean, this happened years ago. I mean, we were like the last church in the whole countryside and city of Hartville and surrounding suburbs, you know. Suburbs. Yeah. Somebody says, suburb doesn't include Mansfield. It's its own, okay? But but whole area, they've just been in about every church, and then they were here, and they were talking, and, just, and to me, and I was a young pastor, bad-mouthing every church. And, and, I, and just everywhere they go, it seems like you had problems. I said, have you ever wondered what's a common denominator? Yeah, everybody treats me poorly, is what the person said. But I found out that maybe wasn't it. But anyway, um, if we're not careful, we miss nothing when it comes to the sin of others. But I miss a whole lot when it comes to, you know what I'm saying? To my, my failings, you know. Hey, nobody's perfect, right? Why are you guys being so tough on me? You expect me to be perfect? I'm only human, right? I mean, I understand. I cut myself a little slack because I know I'm not perfect. It bothers me, but not as bad as your stuff. You know, your bad habits and your failings, that's what really offends me. You're not laughing. I'm, I'm joking, okay? I'm joking. Come on. <laughs> I'm just saying, isn't that the way we do it? Other people's shortcomings, other people's failures are more offensive to me than my own. That's what we got to check here. They say unforgiveness is like, it, it becomes, and I have to watch out about even having hard feelings and resentment. Resentment can begin to get harder and, and resentment can turn into bitterness. And it becomes like a cancer that eats away at your soul. And the unforgiveness can become bitterness and you become bitter of spirit. And then it's just like a cancer spreading inside of you. It binds you in so many ways. And then it can, become, it can become hate if you're not careful. It sure can. They say unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Well, I'm not going to give them the privilege. I'm not going to forgive them. It's like drinking poison yourself and expecting it to harm them. One man said this, forgiveness is like setting a prisoner free. They don't deserve it. But I set them free. But then after I set them free, I realized that the prisoner was me. Been there. Um, I just want to wrap this up by saying this is probably one of the most powerful ways that we show the world what real freedom is. I mean, once in a while in our world, it'll just happen. I mean, there's all the rhetoric, all the signs, all the protests, all the junk. But something horrible will happen that hits us in the face. And we get to see Real freedom and real gospel. It happened June 17th, 2015. On that day, a young man named Dylan Roof, a white man, attended a Wednesday evening Bible study at the predominantly black Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. You remember that? 
This young man's mind had been so messed up and he was such a racist and filled with hate that an hour later, while they were praying, they treated him nice, they included him, and an hour later while they were praying, while they were praying, Roof pulled out a concealed weapon and he killed nine of these people as they prayed. He shot 77 times to kill those nine people. So that shows you how brutal it was. Including Myra Thompson, the wife of Reverend Anthony Thompson. Myra's murder devastated Anthony. But he showed the world what this is really all about. I've been reading his book by Anthony Thompson called Called to Forgive. It has challenged me so much. I want to tell you what he did a little bit later when he went to the bond hearing for Dylan Roof, the guy who murdered his wife. He talks about, um, he was a pastor of another church, how that he'd even brought home food, that they were planning on having the meal together, looking forward to her getting done with her Bible study and to be there and how the food sat on the table and grew cold. He got the news and it wasn't eaten. You just never know in a moment. She was murdered as she prayed. He stood there and everybody in the nation's outraged and there's all this racial tension and this, was, this guy made no mistake about it. He said it was a hate crime. It was a race, racially motivated uh, by a warped mind. And, and, and if Anthony Thompson had stood in front and, and the, the judge gave him opportunity to speak, the, family, the, the families of the victims, opportunity to speak. Now if he would have cussed him out and everything, everybody would have been like, yep, he deserved it. Yep, we would have understood that, right? So what he did. Here's what he said. To him he said, I forgive you. And my family forgives you. And he included, but we would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent, confess, give your life, sorry I misspelled that, to the one who matters the most, Jesus Christ. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, now you're going to say, if what you say you believe is true, then when you said that, that means that you would be okay with him being in heaven with you forever because God would forgive him. Yeah. The world is shocked by this. Thompson wasn't the only one, but many of the other family members of victims Express the same thing. He goes on to say this. So that he can change it. Change your life. And change your attitude. And no matter what happens to you. Then you'll be okay. Do that. And you'll be better off than you are right now. That's what he told him. I, in reading the book. There's so much that I don't have time to share. That he said that as he was there. He was just so disturbed. You know looking young man. And his face down. But he mentions that when he mentioned, and it was through a video conference thing, that when he mentioned the name Jesus Christ for the first time, he, he, he looked up and looked at the camera. And he said, and it's like God gave me a glimpse past all the hate and all the hardness and all the evil. And I saw into his soul for just a moment. of someone that Jesus died for. It's powerful. The world can't process this. There was a reporter, Michael Daly, surmised this. Listen to what this reporter said. Even atheists had to see divinity in these families built by love. God was there in that courtroom if he has ever been anywhere, end quote. The impact, this kind of love, the kind of reflection of divine forgiveness and grace, the kind of truth and gospel that our world needs to see. And he said at that moment, he said, I felt a peace that you can't describe. And I knew what God had for me during the rest of my life until I meet up with him and her again. Now, he also wants you to know that this kind of forgiveness has nothing to do with feelings. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's not what our nature wants. He says, I don't particularly remember feeling like forgiving him. Here's what he said. He states that he didn't feel like forgiving the young man. He said, quote, I knew biblical forgiveness was not based on my personal feelings or my human emotions, but on the unrelenting, unyielding fact of God's word. 
a constant eternal truth, not dependent on my unpredictable human feelings at any given time. Feelings, he goes on to say, have little to do with the firm, intentional, biblical decision to forgive. In other words, he said, I made a choice to just trust God and just do what God said. That's powerful. And it was in those moments after that that the whole world was just reeling like, we don't know what to do with this. Oh, by the way, in speaking more recently, he said, did you notice we didn't have the riots and the things in Charleston that were in other parts of the world? It was almost like it just gave a platform for the gospel. Here's what I'm saying is, is that if we really want to change our society, if we really want this country to change, it's not going to happen by passing more laws. It's probably not going to happen by getting elected who you think. And I'm glad we need to exercise every freedom that we have. But it's going to happen as you and I become free. And we live like, like, like Peter said, as free. But don't use it as a cloak to do your own thing, to do evil. So application, forgive like Jesus. Understanding that you're forgiven changes your perspective. This changes everything for me when I think about him, when I think about my hurt. And I understand that it, it costs. That means I absorb the loss if I forgive. But it's not as costly as unforgiveness. And he talks about how that he's free. That had he, had he not been willing to forgive this man, that he would have been in bondage and in pain the rest of his life. But he's free now. Now, Dylan Roof has never asked for, that I know of, asked for forgiveness or apologized. Or in fact, he even laughed at one point about what he did. But you can still forgive. Anthony Thompson is living proof in our time about this. So I can't control what's going on around me. Can you? I can't control what leaders are going to do in our land. I can't control what the leaders in Jeff City are going to do or not going to do or in D.C. I can't control a worldwide pandemic. I don't know what's always true and not true. I don't understand what all's going on. But I can understand what the Word of God says right here. And I can control my response and my actions. Not all that many people probably actually listen to my voice and are influenced by me. But for a few people that I live around and God has placed me with them, I can make a powerful impact because I'm going to get to use this. I can make a powerful impact on a few people around me. And you know what? There are millions of Christians out there. And if everyone did this, we would change the world. And we would be what God had called us to be and what God empowers us to be. To be light in a dark world and salt to a decaying land. You ready to break the chains? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for... uh